The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello and welcome to Copservations, your front row seat to the greatest show on earth. In case you didn't know it, my name is Anthony. I'm one of the show's uh, creators and producers. Uh, Rob's out of town this week, so tonight I have the pleasure of sitting in for him. How about that? Uh, we're going to try something a little new and a little bit different tonight. My partner and co-producer, Danny, has no clue about what I'm about to do, but that's not true anymore because he read my transcript. Next time, <laughs> don't leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to switch things up a little bit and see if we can integrate uh, the control room uh, with tonight's broadcast. So Danny, tonight you're my co-host from inside the control room. So why don't you... Say hello to everybody out there. We got Brandon and Alexis. Alexis uh, is sitting in for now to uh, answer any phone calls and uh, pay attention to our social media. Brandon, my boy Brandon's in there. He's running the teleprompter and uh, soundboard for now. And Ashley's on her way. So that's one of the advantages of being the creative developer and the guy who formats the show. So I get to say, you know, Danny, you're the co-host today from the control room. This should be fun. Uh, the show is broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and now on Twitter. And you can reach us there at Copservations, at sign Copservations uh, underscore. And we're broadcast from the Broadcast Beat Studios located in Oakland Park, Florida. And here on Copservations, we attempt to give you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers go through on a daily basis. We also talk about recent events happenings, and the latest hot topics pertaining to law enforcement that not only affect law enforcement officers, but you, the general public, as well. If you have any questions, comments, or a story you'd like to share, join the conversation by giving the podcast studio a call toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. And you can also instant message your questions and comments live on our Observations Facebook page, 
So we'll have that monitored in there in the uh, control room. And if you have any questions, they'll send them our way, and uh, we'll be more than happy to answer them. So last week, Rob memorialized his friend and co-worker, uh, Detective Dennis Murphy of the NYPD, who passed away as a result of 9-11 related cancer. Dennis was a crusader in the fight to renew the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, a fund that is so desperately needed, especially now as a grim new release statistic highlighting just how important it was to pass that legislation. Officials have recently reported that as of September 11th of this year, 241 New York Police Department officers have passed and 204 FDNY personnel have died from 9-11 related illnesses. It's been 18 years since the attacks. It's absolutely horrifying. If you didn't get to tune into last week's show, you missed a very informative conversation with our guest, Manny Kustofius. He's going to kill me. <laughs> How do you say it, Danny? You're uh, Greek. Kustofios. Kustofios. Right? Okay. Uh, he's the commanding officer of the Sheriff's Office uh, K-9 unit. Now, I've been in law enforcement almost 25 years, and I've never known about some of the things that Manny had touched on. And coincidentally, lately there have been all kinds of canine stories that have been highlighting the news, including one about Conan, the canine who was responsible for tracking down ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. So it was a rather fitting topic and a great show. Those dogs are really amazing. And we received lots of feedback on it, and we thank you for that. So if you missed last week's Hero Canine Special or any of our other episodes, you can catch up by going to the Observation Podcast channel located on the Metaphor Creative Media YouTube page, where you will find all of our previous episodes. Tonight's topic is violent extremism and law enforcement's use of community policing to counter it. This isn't as easy as I thought it was. <laughs> tonight's, <laughs> tonight's guest is a deputy sheriff rescue diver, a member of the crisis intervention team, homeless outreach specialist, and a field training deputy with the sheriff's office. His background includes extensive research, study, and specializing in CVE, countering violent extremism, working hand-in-hand -hand with the Department of Homeland Security as a subject matter expert for the last five years, and traveling all around the world and training other governments and law enforcement agencies how to work together. My guest is Nizar Hamzi. Nizar? Hey, thanks for... Uh... Thank you uh, for joining us tonight. Welcome to Observations. Thanks, thanks you, uh, for having me on the show. I appreciate the invitation, and I'd like just to give you guys a quick shout out. Your um, your studio is very impressive. It's uh, thank, you. thank you. It's beautiful. It's high tech. I've been to dozens and dozens of studios, and I'm uh, very impressed. So again, thanks for having me. I, re I, I really appreciate it. that, Hammer. We yeah. take a lot of pride in in what we do here, and uh, it's an ongoing process. We're still you know building and expanding and. Uh, I know Ryan is, is very happy with the place, and, and we take a lot of pride in it, so we really appreciate that very much. I can tell. I can tell. So uh, in case you don't know, Hammer or Nazar and I, uh, we do work together, and uh, on the on the road working together, I happen to call him Hammer, so if I happen to, you know, say Hammer, that's who I'm referring to because that's yeah. his nickname that we have for him out on the and you probably don't need a re to know why we call him Hammer. <laughs> I rely a lot on him as a backup, and uh, it's great to have him behind us. So, uh, as is custom with the show format, I'd like to touch on some recent events in the news pertaining to law enforcement and discuss these events a little more in depth for just a bit 
before we move on to tonight's topic. First up, New York Rep. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez appears to be encouraging toll jumping in the New York City metro system. Anti-NYPD protesters swarmed a Brooklyn station and leaped over the turnstiles without paying subway fares on Friday in protest of the NYPD. Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, Ending mass incarceration means challenging a system that jails the poor to free the rich. Arresting people who can't afford a $2.75 fare makes no one safer and destabilizes our community. New Yorkers know that, they're not having it, and they're standing up for each other. Almost a thousand protesters marched in Brooklyn on Friday to air their grievances against the NYPD, claiming that police brutality, as well as fare evasion enforcement, plans against toll jumpers who avoid paying the $2.75 fare. The protest was triggered after two separate subway station incidents involving law enforcement officers in physical altercations. The first incident involved several police officers tackling a 19-year-old black man after it was thought that he had had a firearm on him. He was later found to be unarmed, but was charged with theft of services. The second incident involved an officer breaking up a fight between two groups on a subway platform and ultimately wound up punching two black teenagers in the brawl. Additionally, Protesters complained about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's plan to add 500 more officers to the patrol of the transit system and arrest ferry baiters. Yet back in February of 2018, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance announced that the borough would cease prosecuting subway fare jumpers, claiming two-thirds of all those arrested in Manhattan for fare evasion had no prior convictions. Additionally, Vance argued that a judge issued no criminal punishment on anyone who pleaded guilty. At the time of Vance's announcement, NYPD officers told Police Commissioner James O'Neill that during that week, prosecutors refused to prosecute fare jumpers with extensive records in at least five cases, including one fare evader who was previously arrested 52 times. By the end of 2018, Metropolitan Transit Authority had already lost $215 million as a result of fare evaders. Which, uh... Leads us to this little discussion about this topic. Yeah. It's uh, it it's tough because we're stuck between a rock and a hard spot as law enforcement officers and enforcing the laws. And when does it become um, okay to commit a crime? When does that that begin? And how far can you go before it it becomes okay, or or before it's no longer okay to commit that crime? So. You understand, like yeah, I uh, I know the rules of the show. I, I don't know. Uh, I know we can touch a little bit politically, um, but it seems that uh, AOC was challenging our criminal justice system um, by encouraging people to break the law. So I don't. Uh, I, obviously, I wish you wouldn't do that. That that's you know something that puts everybody in danger and puts law enforcement officers in danger. It puts the public in danger. Um, she's a legislator. She should change the law. So if she wants to do something, stop talking, stop encouraging people to break the law and do something about it as a legislate. Right. Um, So, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, thing that she did. And um, and people got hurt. And, you know, a a lot of people got arrested. um, And it's you know, it's unfortunate that we have lawmakers uh, encouraging people to break the law. Right. It's sad. Yeah. and, And one thing that I caught about the story in itself was 
they make mention that officers attacked him uh, or or jumped on him because they thought he had a gun and then they later charged him with fair evasion like like the fair evasion was a was a subsequent charge like they went after him to begin with because of fair evasion he jumped the the turnstile yeah he broke and they the went law. after him but yeah. no mention in that story until at the end when they say he was charged with fair evasion i mean it's you know really the yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't really depend on the media to tell the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you know. <laughs> I, agree. I think we've learned that. Over yeah, well, I think we've all, I mean, in our field, in our, of course. you know, as law enforcement officers, we know the way that works and we just have to move on in our, yeah. in our day-to-day yeah. uh, duties as the law enforcement officers. Yeah. So, But it is, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it, it's unfortunate um, for a lawmaker to tell people to break the law. Um, it's, you know, it, it's very irresponsible. I'm, I'm not sure uh, why she made the decision. If she has a, you know, a problem with the criminal justice system, um, then, uh, you know, I've been around, uh, around the world, right? right. Um, and uh, no system is perfect, but I can tell you, God bless America, and I love this criminal justice system. I'm not saying it, uh, it can't use improvement, but she should legislate. Yes, ab- absolutely. And, yeah. and another thing I feel is uh, I feel that a lot of uh, these uh, people took advantage of a situation. And it's not that I don't have a problem with if you can't afford your fare. Yeah. You know, if somebody needs something and they can't really afford it. Most of these protesters, it wasn't that they couldn't afford the fare. They jumped these uh, turnstiles in protest. It's it's still committing, you're still committing a crime. You've got to yeah. pay your fare. Yeah. You know, and if you don't have fare to get through, that's one thing. But when you just jump it because you can, yeah. then that's Well, you know, I, 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 I have never been, you know, to New York, but I'm, I know a, a lot of our friends have, a lot of my coworkers, and uh, I would imagine that the, the law enforcement officers on the ground are a lot like us. Yeah. And if someone walked up to them and said, hey, I just, I need to get here and I can't go, you sure. know. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the officers would, would help that person. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And a lot of people don't realize that, but um, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yep, that's a tough one. Uh, the next story uh, in Dayton, from Dayton, Ohio, uh, is about uh, George uh, Del Rio. He's a 30-year Dayton, Ohio police officer who was critically injured Monday after being shot in the face while serving a search warrant at a Dayton home. Officer Del Rio was placed on advanced life support at Grandview Medical Center, Dayton Police Chief Richard Beale said. Officer Del Rio, who joined the department in 1989, has served and positively changed countless lives because of his work to remove dangerous drugs and narcotics from the streets. Beale, who choked back tears while discussing the shooting, and the wounded detective said, his work had impacted regionally, nationally, and internationally. He was that good and what he did, he loved what he did. Officer Del Rio's professionalism and work quality exemplifies the Dayton Police Force's mission, Beale said. Del Rio's injuries are grave, and we ask the community to keep the detective and his family in its thoughts and prayers, the chief said. Beale said Del Rio's family, including his wife, children, and grandchildren, gathered at his hospital Monday night. They are all deeply affected by this, he said. Clearly, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be there to support him, rooting for him, pulling for him, praying for him. Del Rio, 55, was sworn into the police department on March 9th of 1989. 
In May of 2000, he became a DEA task force officer in the Narcotics Bureau. During his career, he received seven written commendations, two letters of appreciation, and one unit citation. Del Rio put his life on the line every day for the city and this community, said Keith Martin, special agent in charge of the Detroit Field Division of the DEA. Del Rio's shooting was senseless and tragic and is an attack on this community and its justice system, said Montgomery County Prosecutor Matt Heck. My heartfelt sympathies are extended to the Del Rio family, but also to Chief Beal and the entire Dayton Police Department, Heck said. So, this is a, you know, these, this, this topic, this, uh, and I don't like to say this, no fear of law enforcement, uh, no second guessing or thinking twice about jumping out at a police officer, pulling a gun at a police officer, shooting a police officer. Yeah. Has got me, I'm absolutely horrified. I am horrified because growing up, I grew up in the streets of Long Island, uh, in New York. Um, the last thing I wanted to do as a as a, a young man, especially growing up in an Italian slash Puerto Rican family, was encounter or have an encounter with a law enforcement officer. Yeah. Not only was were was I worried about the law enforcement officer because I, you know, you just didn't want to have a run-in with them. But then I was worried about what happened to me after my parents found out that I had a run-in with the law enforcement officers, you know? <laughs> so, and, but nowadays there is no, it's, it's almost like there's no, there is no fear. There is no, and I'm not saying that law enforcement officers need to have fear or put instill fear in people. We don't, we're not out there to instill fear in people. However, you need to know that if you're going to, your actions are going to, there are going to be ramifications um, if they are not lawful and if you attack a law enforcement officer. I mean, it, it, the line has to be drawn somewhere. You know, when I, uh, I, I started in, in, in uh, 2012 in law enforcement, and I know we'll get into that later, but um, my, uh, the director of the academy, he was a retired chief from Kansas, and he told me, um, you know, as we were going into the introduction and talking about the life of a law enforcement officer, you know, he told me that, you know, he said, uh, Hamzy, the law enforcement has changed so much over the last two decades that I don't recognize it when I first started to where it is now. And he told me, he said, by the time you leave and you get on the road and you start working, you won't recognize it from this day, from everything that we're teaching you until the, until the next uh uh, uh, it's almost you know. like you can't keep up with it. Huh? Yeah. Um, you know, in my generation, uh, you know, growing up, you know, you, you guys um, have been, uh, you know, our uh, giants that we're standing on the shoulders of, you know. Um, and in my generation of, of law enforcement, when I, when I grew up, uh, there was a respect for law enforcement. Right. You know, when I saw a law enforcement officer, I would say, yes, sir, no, sir. Really, I never wanted to see a law enforcement officer. That means I was fucking around and, you know, getting in trouble. Um, but there was a respect, you know, for law enforcement. And I still do see uh, quite a few citizens that have that respect. I, I do, I do oh, see yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's uh, not there. Yeah. It, um, it, it is there. And, you know, it, it's sometimes uh, when I'm at my, my, not my lowest, but I'm at the point where I'm thinking all hope is lost. Uh it, I always end up to 
having somebody come up to me and say thank you thank you yeah. for your service and you know that kind of snaps me out of my little yeah you know, yeah you know which is it, you know you're still appreciated out there and i'm not saying we're not appreciated out there i feel but, it but there are like you said there are people that are very aggressive towards uh, you know towards very, law enforcement very aggressive. and you know we don't work in the best neighborhood you know uh, you know where we work and um we've had many instances where um, mm-hmm. Our fellow deputies, even myself, you know, I was, you know, uh, attacked with a knife and uh, deputies, you know, people shooting at us. And um, uh, and there are there is a certain uh, group in society. There's a small group in society that don't really respect law enforcement. Right. And it's very easy us, for us to identify them. Right. Um, and our safety is very important. I want to go home. You want to go home. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, they're out there. You know, it's unfortunate. Um but I'm I'm still holding on, you know. Yeah, I, I still I know see you are. I, I still see the uh, the people that respect us and uh, and and work with us and support us, um, and you know we just have you know we, we have to, we're protectors for a reason. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you got a long way to go. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I'm in the drop. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> but anyway, but I I work with a great bunch of guys. I yeah. really love working with you guys. We have a really good. Uh, crew that we work with yeah. um, you know I I I wouldn't doubt that any one of us uh, wouldn't be there for each other of course at, at the time when we when we need it the most so in a split second yeah yep. absolutely absolutely yep. a great crew to work with I love it yep. so <clears throat> we'll move on to the next story uh, Montgomery County Maryland police uh, this one bothers me a little too because we're dealing with children and we mo- we mold them the way we want. We, you know, we're trying to teach them as they're growing up right from wrong, you know, good from bad, uh, some moral, some respect, some... Uh, and this story just absolutely... I don't know why, but... Or what's going on there, or whether there's an underlying thing, but this story really, really bugged me. So, um, in Maryland, uh, police say that a wooden American flag made and gifted by a local child resident, <clears throat> James Shelton, in recognition of National First Responders Day, will not be publicly displayed. The department initially said in a tweet that the thin blue line flag would be displayed at the 5th District Station for National First Responders Day. However, the department later tweeted a message from Montgomery County Executive Mark El- Elric, who said that the flag will not be displayed because it is divisive. The flag provides a symbol of support to some, but it is a symbol of divisive, uh, dismissiveness to others, the tweet reads. Because it is divisive, the flag will not be posted at the 5th District, nor in any other public space within the police department. So, uh... Hey, Tony. Yep. The flag will always be displayed on our show. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Proudly. Uh... I, I am so torn with this. I mean, I understand there are there I'll I will just say this. There's a bad apple or there are bad apples in every profession, job. Um we're human. We're not perfect. Yeah. A lot of us uh will make minor mistakes, correct them, move on. The, those with experience will learn from it. The really good ones will accept their their uh, fault and move on. 
and I, I am a firm believer in that. And I, I can tell you instances where I'm, hey, I'm not perfect, believe it or not. I'm not perfect, Danny. Sorry. <laughs> I can attest. <laughs> hey, hold on. You, that's not what you've been telling us. You've been fucking lying to us. <laughs> Damn it. It's out. Uh, but there have, I mean, 25 years is a long time to work uh, for an agency or, or as law enforcement it, and, and have a, a smudge-free uh, record yeah. because you learn. I mean, in the beginning you learn. And a lot of the stuff that you learn in the beginning, you apply in your in your drop years, or you know when you're getting close to your retirement years. A lot more common sense, a lot more you know, uh, you know we always will have empathy, but w until uh, we we really live um, that time, like it's it's hard to explain. Until we really experience what people are going through, like the the two people in our city last week. Yeah, you know, until you experience that and actually feel your empathy, you don't. You can always say, "Yeah, I empathize with them. I empathize with them." Until you've done this for a long time, can you really say, "I empathize with you"? Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to teach them. It's easy to say you have to have empathy, um, but it takes a lot of experience before you actually feel that or tra and training. And so, as far as people being offended by this flag. Um, I understand. You gotta take it in totality. What we stand for. What, as law enforcement officers, stand for. Why we put on the badge and the, and the gun belt and everything. Mm. And why every day, after all the stuff we go through, we still choose to get up in the morning, put on the badge, put on the belt, get in the car, go, protect. And one of the biggest things, and I've, I've even told my kids this, no matter what happens to you that day, it, it can be one person that gives you the worst day of your life. That person can say things, can do things to you, can uh, just absolutely have no respect for you. Tomorrow, if that person calls 911, you will, without hesitation, respond to that person's house. Yeah. And take care of business for that person. You're right. No other. There is no <laughs> other, feel you know, profession that will do that. Yeah. And and not only that, but before you go to his house again, when he calls the next day, you have to go home and you have to digest all that stuff. And then you got to deal with your family and you got to. It's a very delicate balancing act that yeah. takes a long, long time to do. But regardless of that, and I've told people to their face too. Listen, you may think that of me, but tomorrow, if you call me, I'm going to be there to help you. You know, I, I, um, and, and the, the different hats that I wear uh, for the time, you know, and we'll, we'll speak about that a little bit, uh, I guess, in the future of different parts of our conversation. Yeah, we're going to get that. <laughs> the, you know, I've heard this narrative, and I guess basically what happened in this, this example that we, we were uh, discussing before and what you just read to, to the viewers here um, is that there's such a divide between the community Right, they don't want to recognize and or let the the police recognize themselves as first responders with our American flag with the thin blue line on it. Um, and I I have a, a lot of experience with these um, groups. And like I said, I know we want to get political. And at sometimes um, I I I'd engage in conversations with with them because of the work that I'm doing. And they would actually say out loud, you know, I can't think of one thing that I would call nine one one for. 
you know. <laughs> and um, that's how far, you know, I don't want to say left or right, but in a way, you know, that, that's how far they've gone. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, you sit down and you have a conversation with them and I may say, let me tell you something. Have you ever been to a house or you know somebody where the father raped their daughter and their face goes blank? I said, have you ever been where somebody robbed an old lady sitting in a graveyard worshiping her son and she got ro- or, or, uh, uh, crying over her son that died in the military and some thug comes up to her and robs her? That, have that, you ever we have, have you, incidents of yeah, that's of happened in our city? I said, I said, with that. Have you ever experienced that? Mm. I said, so don't sit on your high horse and tell me that you would never, you don't know why you would call 911. And I said, I understand that you have some grievances and there are some things that, that, you know, you would want to see different, but don't, don't say that because you're putting a lot of other people in danger when you say that, encouraging that to call. So, you know, I get it. I I understand, but you know, it's, it's crappy. Yep. And, and we still, I mean, to the, every day we deal with, situations and at least once a week we run into a situation or I have run into a situation where somebody would actually tell us to their face we don't need the police nobody yeah. wants the police here we don't need you yeah you know we just go away I didn't call you okay. you know but uh, I I don't know I'm just uh, I'm flabbergasted because like I said we we still will go and help these people regardless of how much they um, hate us Hate us. Yep, we'll still much. we'll still be there. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, <clears throat> as a reminder, if you have a question, comment, or a story you'd like to share, join the conversation. And I want you guys to call. Nobody is calling me. I want you guys to call. There is no excuse for it. I know there's a lot of you out there, but I want a phone call. At least a phone call in the next segment, or else I'm coming after you. No, I'm just kidding. So you can give the podcast studio a call toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hammer, uh, before we move on to our topic, um, we like to get to know a little bit about our guests. Okay. And uh, we like to ask them a few questions. So if you don't mind, I'm going to shoot some of your way, and uh, let's let's get to know you. We'll let the the audience get to know you. Sure. So uh, prior to law enforcement, uh, what did you do before you became a a law enforcement officer? Um, Prior to law enforcement, I was involved in nonprofit management and uh, big box retail operation and multi-unit management. So I was district manager, regional manager uh, for uh, CarMax, for Lowe's Home Improvement, uh, Pep Boys. You know, you've heard of the the auto industry. Really? I was in multi-unit management for them. Wow. Uh, That was my background, you know, so a lot heavy, you know, operations, human resources, things like that. Very good. Did you have a degree in that? Uh, No, I just studied business, regular undergrad degree. and um, um, uh, And then I got involved with law enforcement. Very good. And and so why, why law enforcement? Why, what, why did you get into law enforcement? I, uh, as I said, I was in a uh, nonprofit. I was involved in nonprofit management. I was the director, uh, executive director at the time for Care Florida. It's a civil rights organization for the Muslim community. And I was um, uh, volunteering for the sheriff's office um, as a chaplain, uh, you know, for the, uh, the chaplain's office. And uh, I would go uh, specifically what I was doing is they, they were asking me for help. There were some inmates that you know, some can request a, a religious diet, you know, which is a, a, a better quality food 
cost the taxpayers more money. Right. Uh, so the chaplain's office would ask me to, you know, come in and uh, help them, um, you know, with that program to make sure they weren't getting taken advantage of, basically. Oh. Um, so it, that, that's how the relationship started. Um, I started, and then obviously in the, my role um, in the nonprofit, I was a community leader. And um, I interacted a lot with uh, Lombardi's administration back then. You know, it was back in 2011 was when, that, when that started at the chaplain's office. And then I was recruited. Uh, they uh, recruited me to, uh, they, they said, hey, you know, you'd be a really good deputy. You know, you, 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 you speak well, you, uh, you have integrity, you, you represent your community well. Um, you know, why don't you join us? Very I good. did. I did. So, and that was back in 2012. So before that, you had no, uh, you had no thoughts until somebody suggested to you, hey, hey, come on board. Yeah, I, it, along it, it wasn't. An, I mean, as a, a child, you know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that that kind of, uh, uh, you know, crosses your mind. But um, until, until, I mean, and I didn't make my decision right away. It wasn't an overnight decision. But, you know, when they started talking to me and I started really thinking about, you know, my future and what I wanted to do and the example I wanted to set for my children. Um, uh, and I just, everyone always tells me, you know, you look like a cop. Every time I work, everywhere I go, that you know, they say, "Are you in the military?" You know, or did you look like a cop? Uh, but um, so that's how I got started. You know, I um, uh, I was volunteering, serving the community, and uh, and that's how I got started. I got, I got recruited. And that was back when Lamberti was. Yeah, started. Lamberti is the ad administration. Uh, I met him only a couple times, uh, but I had a you know as a community leader, we would interact with his administration. Very good. Um, and uh, he was the the one that you know he hired me and, and sent me through the academy. Excellent. Yeah. So, so now that you've uh, stepped, taken that next step, and you become a law enforcement officer, what do you like? Uh, what do you like most about the job? Me coming from a civil rights background <laughs> is very is unique. You know, for somebody from a civil rights background coming into law enforcement, right? Because you you hear um, a certain segment of society, you know, saying that you know police are always violating civil rights and so on and so forth. So. You know, you really don't understand, um, uh, you know, everything when you're on the outside, you know, when you're not doing the job, you know, and, and uh, you, you get in and, and you're, you know, you're, you're suiting up and, and you're protecting people and you're putting your life on the line. So you really don't understand. Um, so I, through the experience, and that made me, a, I believe, a better officer, um, respecting the Constitution, respecting uh, people's rights. Um, and I think that the, the most, the, what I like to, to see, what makes me the happiest about actually my job in, in, in law enforcement um, is, and I, I don't want to use the cliche helping people, but uh, when you see people that are affected, the people that are victims of crimes, when you uh, see families that are devastated because of some of the examples that I gave earlier, um, and you can you can be there and you can help them and you know you can go after the bad guy and you can take that bad guy off the street and uh, you can make society a little safer and uh, give that family some closure and some peace you know yeah. so I think that's what what I, what I really enjoy the most now about the job yeah I, I think I, I um, back when I first started uh, everything was about getting the bad guy know yeah. things have changed a lot in policing between you know all the different uh 
areas of, of uh, actual law enforcement and stuff in community policing and all that other stuff. But back then it was when I, I hungered to catch the bad guy. Yeah. You know, it was just, you just had the great feeling in the end that, you know, got him, <laughs> got another one off the street, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And with that question, you know, we're gonna have to go to the opposite sure. end of the spectrum. So sure. uh, what, do, what do you like, or what is the least thing that you like? The politics, man, I, I never expected um, I never expected, uh, you know, uh, in this particular job, but, you know, that's, <clears> me, I guess, me being a little naive. Uh, the politics in the, in the job are, um, you know, a little disappointing. I always fathomed or thought that law enforcement uh, had a higher standard, right, when it comes to in, internal dealing with each other. And, you know, mm -hmm. but it's just like every other employer I've right. ever, you know, I've ever worked at. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of bureaucracy, um, and so I guess that's the you know, I guess the most disappointing thing. You know, mm. yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we go on uh, with more questioning, we've got a phone call. We have sure. Ray on the line. We'll bring him on, sure. and uh, see what he has to say or his questions. So, hello, uh, Ray. You're on the air. Hello. Is the phone mic on? Phone mic. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. That's a very good question. Unfortunately, I don't know what. Oh, here we go. I got it. What kind of producer are you? <laughs> got it. Yep. Co-host. Woohoo! Save the day. <laughs> hey, I only created the show. Uh, hello, Ray. You're on the air. Are you there? Yes, sir. How are you today, Ray? Hey, I. Good. Hey, I just wanted to compliment you guys. Um, you know, I lived overseas for a while, and American law enforcement is the best in the world. You know, you go overseas and everything is so corrupt and it's just, it's just the best. When you get back from being overseas, it's such a blessing to be back here with people who don't take bribes and aren't dangerous. We appreciate that, Ray. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job and, you know, we, we, uh, you know, like I said earlier in the show that, uh, you know, there's always a few bad apples, uh, for the most part, the majority of us take pride in what we do every day, every day, and and still consider it an honor to be able to go out there and serve the community and and protect. Yeah. Uh, each and every day we get out there. Yeah. Ray, can I ask uh, where in the world uh, you had experience uh, with other type uh, other governments and law enforcement? Well, I've been in a. I was in a Africa, okay. and I was part of a humanitarian unit, and we had to bribe everybody to get to where we were going. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, when you get back to the United States, you know, it, when you talked about the flag, it just, you know, I had to call you because that, you know, it's just heartbreaking that we have leadership that doesn't understand how special it is to be an American. And when you go overseas and you see just corruption, <clears throat> you know, at every level, and you have police officers just do their job and they get paid normal wages or lower wages in some jobs and they don't take bribes or or hassle people for money yeah so yeah it, it's, it's it's wonderful yeah well we thank you we thank you for uh for the call ray we, uh, keep listening we hope you listen and uh call in for us again okay thanks again ray uh well so um that's a good point i mean here here's what you got to think about um the the 
the child who makes the flag and presents it yeah. as has a has a certain pride and with the development the developing mind of a child um he gets all that warm fuzzy feeling because everybody is so honored and so grateful to this child for going above and beyond for showing his appreciation and respect to law enforcement yeah. and then somebody comes and says well yeah we told you that but it, it can't go anywhere because it's it's offensive yeah. really yeah. you say that to a child you know I mean I just have a problem with that I mean I, I understand the whole I understand the whole uh, you know we've got to make sure that uh, you know we're not being offensive to anybody or anything but when it comes to the flag I mean one I of those things yep just one of those things um, <clears throat> so we did we talked about what you least like about the job so you're also a field training dip correct <clears throat> um, so I have yeah so you're responsible for training new deputies. I am. And uh, as they come out of the academy, right? Yes. Right, so, when, right when they come out of the academy. <laughs> fresh, <laughs> fresh, clean slate out of the academy. Yeah, I remember that. Cause <laughs> so so tell, me, tell us a little bit about field training. Well, as I mean, in, in all your experience with sure. between community stuff and all that, you know, your mind is just like filling with all this, this, stuff that you're learning and yeah. now just seven years seven years right yeah. into well how long have you been a field training um field training i think two and a half years so two and a half years so you're years figuring now. you're here you are yeah. fresh yeah from the academy <laughs> pretty much i mean you're you're we call you rookie yeah four years yeah. but now you're going to be a field training deputy now yeah. you have to teach brand new people coming out of the academy so Tell, tell us a little about that, especially as a new deputy coming out of it. Yeah, um, it's it, it's a very challenging uh, you know position to have to be a field training officer, a field training deputy here at the sheriff's office. Um, it's a it's probably and you know everyone I speak to and and I also tend to agree with. It's probably one of the most important positions that we have inside uh, or any law enforcement uh, agency would have would be. The, the the officers or the deputies that you're putting w brand new people with right. um, to uh, mentor them to train them to to uh, you know give them instruction on how to read the law how to apply the law you know um, uh, how to interact how to look just everything from you know a to z so it is a lot um, uh, I had a little bit more life experience when I came out of the academy, so it was a it was a little more natural for me. But it is funny to get the newer, younger deputy or the you know the the younger deputies. Um, uh, so there are a couple things that that you know I, I've noticed, and my fellow field training officers have have noticed as well. Um, uh, the the deputies that were that we're getting, uh, they they are they're a good stock. You know, they're they're good people. You know, we're seeing them. We we see them. We're talking to them, and and they really have an internal mechanism to serve. Uh, so that that's a you know that's a good job on the SO's part. You know, of of bringing us these these uh, these new uh, cadets or not cadets, but you know, new officers. Right. Um, so you know, when we get them, um, you know, we just showing them that every day, you know, and that the, the SO has a lot of policy 
a lot of policy. <laughs> so we have to train them on all of our policy. We have to teach them, um, you know, just everything that we talk about all the time, misdemeanor exceptions, felonies, uh, you know, officer tactics, safety. Um, it's a big know, responsibility. It is. It is, it is, mean, a, very, it, it is a very big does responsibility. Does it ever, I mean, do you ever, like, I mean, it's a huge responsibility. And it, from what I remember, because I've been here a long time, pretty much you're held accountable for your officer that you released onto the onto the the road pretty much after his training, right? Like like in the beginning when they get off the road, they're off of FTO or FTD, whatever you want to call it. Um, something happens, people will revert back to you. I mean, because they're they're fresh out. Well, as a field training deputy, yeah. why didn't you? Or how come you said to do that? Or you know. So that's that's a very big, uh, very big responsibility. It is a big responsibility, um, and I can tell you, my you know, our, our <laughs> my, my my unit, you know, the unit that I work with in, in the field training in, in our in our area, um, we we communicate quite a bit, and we complement each other. You know, we're like, hey, what's going on with this trainee? Um, you know, you know, we need to work on A, we need to work on B, we need to work on Z. Um, and you know we have a pretty good working unit, um, and we, we're turning out some good some good deputies. You know we, we have some good quality deputies that we're turning out. Some of them don't make it, as you know. Right. You know we we've had some that they're just they're not they're not meant to be police officers. Right. Um, they cause a you know it's a, a safety issue for us, and you know we we certainly don't want that. Um, and we have some people that just don't get it. Right. You know. And, and then we have uh, some like, like. Our, you know, like Mark on our on our shift is like phenomenal. Yeah. He's he's shaped and he was he's molded into like the epitome of a law enforcement officer, like Correct. a deputy chef. He yeah. is awesome. Yeah, total awesome package. as a new guy. Mark yes. is Mark is a total package. He's, yes, he is. Uh, he he's doing good. He was you know one of my trainees. He's uh, yep. as well as other uh, training officers, but um, he's very professional. Absolutely, very, very driven, yep. very dependable. Um, Community loves them. Yep. Total, total package. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So uh, why don't you, let's shift gears a little bit, and you're also a dive rescue. Sure. Yep. Uh, you're, you're trained in dive rescue, um, homeless outreach, uh, crisis intervention, intervention team. Just touch a little bit on that. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I'm on the uh, dive rescue team. Hoo -hoo -hoo -ah. <laughs> Shout out to all my rescue divers. <laughs> um, you know, the, the dive team, where we... Um, we, we uh, it sounds fun, you know, when you hear us are a rescue diver, uh, but we we are all uh, a very dedicated group, you know, uh, diving, especially in the in the canals and the muck uh, here in Broward County is is not the most glamorous job, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, uh, it's something that we have to do. Also, we don't dive; we also dive in the ocean, you know, th different things. There were some missing uh, many lobster seasons, some uh, some divers, you know lost right. their life you know right. the, the sheriff's office joined the coast guard but um so we do a lot of different things on the dive team a lot of training a lot of lives uh you know so it's anything from you know body recovery underwater investigations car recovery um anything that we you know we need an underwater unit you know underwater presence and so. training extensive training extensive on that you guys training. are like very yeah very, yeah we have throwing you in the mud like every couple of weeks or yeah right? yeah well you have to you have to remember you know we're we're underwater Right. Um, so our, our master, uh, our chief diver is extremely talented, very passionate. Um, you know, uh, Alex Beer and um, it's a very dangerous job, Bill, because when you're underwater, if something happens, 
you're, you're dead. You know, you, you, you know, you, you have no, you have no air, you have no way to breathe. So right. we go through a tremendous amount of training, um, to, to, to make sure we're safe, to make our fellow divers are safe. Uh, for us to accomplish our mission if we get sent on one. Very yeah. good. Um, the homeless outreach and the, the crisis intervention, I think, believe uh, quite a few deputies have gone through crisis intervention yeah, training. Yeah, I've, I've been through it. Yeah, and that's uh, taught us. It was a good tool for me as well um, in, in um, dealing with people in mental crisis, you know, people that have mental illnesses or in a mental going through a mental crisis, uh, to, to teach us how to better respond to them, to de-escalate, not, not to go hands-on so much if we don't need to. Right. Um, and then the homeless outreach team is... Uh, something uh, that I uh, volunteered for and I'm uh, uh, you know still proud to be on it and that's when we trying to help the people that are less fortunate right um, and uh, you know get them assistance get them services through the county um, and I'm, I'm sure you remember there was a, a maybe about a year ago it was a, a homeless lady named Claudia and she um, she was from the Bahamas and not from the Bahamas, Jamaica. I know, I yeah, know yeah. exactly. What you're yeah, you remember yep. what I'm talking about? Yep. I'm sorry, I, the Bahamas hurricane just put in my head. She was from Jamaica, right? And um, we had been dealing with her for over a year, and she, she, she just was sometimes uncooperative. But we still tried. I took her to the courthouse to get her help. I took her right. to uh, the homeless uh, shelter. Just a lot of things. And I'd, finally, one day, I was able to connect with her and, and have a conversation with her. And it turns out she'd been trying to get home to, you know, her, her, her uh, homeland, Jamaica, and um, she hadn't been successful for years, right? So she had no documentation, she had no anything. So um, I, I went above and beyond the next step. Um, I called the, the consulate, the, you know, the consulate down right. here. They got her a temporary travel visa. I bought her a plane ticket. Right, I you know, remember to, you did. Yeah. that was just recently. That was uh, not a few months ago. I think at the beginning right? of the year. The beginning yeah. of the year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember Lauder when you did that. North Lauderdale, uh, they, the uh, the city commission was real happy, and they gave me uh, recognition. But yeah. anyway, uh, so uh, s- stuff like that on the homeless outreach team. You know, uh, you know, being homeless is not a crime. Right. Um, uh, however, homeless people still have to follow the law. Right. <laughs> I just want to make sure that's right. clear. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, yeah, the crisis intervention um, team, be, uh, getting CIT certified for me uh, in the last few years. I mean, I've never been CIT certified in the last few years. Yeah. And it's it kind of, um, it, it gave me a new, even after 20 two years back then of, of law enforcement, it gave me a whole new perspective on that side of, of law enforcement. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's not that I never had empathy or compassion for, you know, somebody who was down on their luck or whatever, because I've instilled it in my children. I mean, my son is the biggest, my son Brandon is the biggest. I mean, today I, I sent him some money for gas so he can come down and, and work the show. And he said, I'm stopping to get something to eat. And by the way, I'm buying a homeless guy some food. And I'm like, this is this child has a heart of, a, of, of like the biggest heart in the world, you know. And I've instilled that in my children purposely. Yeah. So and, and, you know, as you know, I don't know if you know, he's pursuing a path of law enforcement. Yeah. As much yeah. as I've, you know, tried to tell him, no, do this, that and the other thing. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, I'm sure eventually when he gets to that stage, uh, he'll he'll do really well in uh in homeless outreach, and I yeah. think that's one, probably one of the things that he'll he'll move towards CIT and homeless ra- outreach. So that's my daughter, good. on the other hand, she's doing fire. So <laughs> that's okay. She's smarter than all of us. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Yes, she is. So, but yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> thanks. Uh, so now we've gotten to know you. Yeah. 
And we know uh, that um, the topic tonight is CVE, yep. uh, countering violent extremism. Um, your experience also includes that tonight's topic. Correct. Um, specializing in counter-violent, uh, countering violent extremism. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. Um, CVE. Much easier to say Right, CVE. Well, yeah. I, I want to make sure everybody understands first. Got it. I, countering I understand. violent extremism. Um, say that a hundred times and no. So um, why don't you uh, explain uh, what exactly uh, CVE is? Sure. Countering violent extremism um, is an initiative. The official CVE project was launched by the Department of Homeland Security. Obviously, um, the previous uh, tactics, if you will, by the government to deal with violent extremism um, was not successful because it was a very uh, heavy-handed hammer approach to um, you know, dealing with uh, violent extremism, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about, about all of that. But the, the Department of Homeland Security made a uh, conscious decision and says, you know what, this problem is very big. We need to bring uh, many different players into dealing with this particular issue. Um, so we need to get everybody involved in, in countering violent extremism. Um, so we can have a safe homeland to make sure our homeland is safe. Um, So that's what CVE is, the big picture, CVE. So now there's a couple different working, uh, uh, I guess, arms, if you will, of CVE. The most important thing regarding CVE is the understanding uh, all of the different players in CVE, and then obviously I would I fit into that into a couple different ways, and I'll talk about that. Yeah, well, before we do, before we move into that, which we will, so... So being a community leader and everything and then moving towards law enforcement and everything, what actually uh, made you get into uh, CBD? The, uh, you know, I remember what happened on 9-11 where I was, you know, I was, uh, as I was a, a manager at Pep Boys. And um, I just, you know, I was in awe. You know, I just, I saw what happened and um, that, that memory always, you know, stuck with me, and then just the, the the weeks, months, years after, you know, the aftermath of what happened to our country and our, our, our fellow um, first responders, you know, um, and that stuck in my head. So when I started getting involved with law enforcement, I found myself in a very unique position because not only was I law enforcement, doing my law enforcement role, right. um, I also was a community leader if not right. one of the most prominent ones in the Muslim community here in South Florida. Right. So that was a very unique combination. And the Department of Homeland Security almost immediately recognized that unique combination. Um, because typically you don't have that. If you have somebody that's a community leader, typically for a minority community leader, they are somewhat resistant to law enforcement. Right? And we can talk about that. There's good reason. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not unwarranted. Right. Um, uh, or if you're law enforcement, you're not in that same, you're not so much community driven. Right. Right. So there's two different hats. So I, I came to the, to the table for the CVE, uh, table with a, a very different perspective and a very different, uh, set of skills and talents that I brought to that. So that's how I first got involved. Department of Homeland Security, uh, reached out to me. Um, we had many, uh, many brainstorming meetings, many uh, conferences that I attended, suggested things uh, to them, and then eventually I just started traveling um, through different parts of the U.S. and also internationally, 
Um, I've been to uh, Marseille, France, to Trinidad and Tobago a couple of times. Yeah, which we're going to we're going to yeah, we'll talk about that well, in a, just, yeah. just in a couple in a second. But sure, you say um, you say that CVE is a global initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly does that mean? As I stated, the the understanding. Well, let's talk about what CVE addresses first, okay. right? So we can we can be on the same page. So basically, it it it. it I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it addresses extremism. Your passion is showing. Yeah. It it uh, it addresses violent extremism, right? Yeah. So violent extremism. So here, let's put it in the context of the USA, right? Because that's our homeland, and that's you know we should be talking about right. that. So here, there's different types of extremism here. So let's uh, let's talk about that. So your viewers, so we can we can open with that line of discussion to give them a little bit more education and knowledge. Um, unfortunately, I was talking to you prior. Um, most law enforcement, local law enforcement, when you say CVE or countering violent extremism, they have no idea what you're talking and, about. And I told you that. Yeah. Until I researched this this topic, yeah. I didn't know what CVE was. Correct. And yeah. and I and I was up till two thirty two two thirty in the morning, uh, doing a lot of show prep right. for this and it was and as I told you in when we were talking earlier, preparing for the show. I don't think tonight's show would would even scratch the surface of of what this is all about. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It just, I was like, I gotta finally go to bed, you know. So I think there's I got a lot. En- yeah. I think I got enough. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a you know, uh, we'll talk more about it. But let me stick with you know, okay. So the types of extremism, right? right. Well, let's talk about that briefly. We'll just scratch the surface. It is important for you, the viewers, to to understand. Yep, because absolutely, I agree. Un- unfortunately, and and you know, this is a stereotype I fight all the time. Most of the time, when you hear about extremism or radicalism. Your it's the, the focus narrows down to the Muslim uh, uh, or Islam, right? Yes. Um, and and certainly the uh, the Muslim faith have people that have done acts of terrorism. I just I just mentioned 9/11. Um, however, um, and there's some backfiring about only focusing on that. We'll talk right. about that a little right. bit more. So basically, here in the U.S., we have different types of extremism. We have right wing extremism. Right wing extremism is uh, synonymous with uh, something that we all recognize now as a white supremacy. My race is superior, right. um, or uh, my ethnicity is superior. This type of extremism, and they—it's uh, okay for people to have those views if that's what they want to believe in. Right. But the turn, this—the second you start turning criminal, which means you start breaking the law or plan to break the law, um, then that becomes a violent extremism issue. Um, and then, you know, law enforcement would need to get involved with that. Right. Um, left wing extremism is on the other side. Right. So you have right wing extremism and is, is going to be, you know, race driven. Uh, I'm superior. Uh, left wing extremism is more of a uh, anti-government, more of a socialist uh, type uh uh, extremism, okay. right? Um, and it's okay if you have, you know, I think the government should uh, pay for everything for everybody. That's okay. But we're talking about when people take it to the extreme and become violent. That's an issue for us here to keep us right. safe. Uh, the political or the religious type extremism, as I mentioned, um, examples, and a lot of people don't realize this because unfortunately, even in the media, they they reduce or they narrow it to Muslim. Right. right? Which I did definitely in researching found uh and I'll, I'll talk more about it in a little bit yeah. where i actually where i couldn't believe how naive a lot uh, as americans yeah. uh, we are i mean because 
we'll we'll, yeah, we'll talk we'll, more. We'll talk, about it. we'll talk more. I just let, let me. I'll just finish. So it's very simple: political to change the political or or a religious motive, right? Right. Um, and the, obviously, the the big three here is for like the Abrahamic face, right? So like we had the KKK. That's right. you know an, a, a terrorist organization yep. here, domestic terrorist organization. Right. Um, ISIS, right? That would be for the Muslim faith, or is, right. you know the people that are claiming to follow Islam, right? Right. Um, so and ISIS have done recruiting here in the U.S. and uh, worldwide. And then um, in uh, in Kak, like Kahana High, that would be a Jew, uh, a Judaism, a, a Jewish-based terrorist organization that has done operation here, you know, in the U.S. Um, so that, that's a different. And I was type I was reading also something about a Colombian-based. Uh, I forgot which one it was, but uh, revolutionary FARC or yeah. revolutionary. So yeah, yeah. I was reading like I said, I read a. Yeah, um, and then a single mm-hmm. issue. Ex- the, the last one would be like single issue. Um, extremism. And this one poses um, a very unique threat to law enforcement because this particular group target law enforcement. Um, So you're like, you know, uh, sovereign citizens, uh, you got uh, the free men on the land. Uh, This group uh, actually targeted a police station, the Pentagon, you know what I mean? So uh, there are, I just wanted to touch that briefly because uh, there are so many different types of violent extremism. Yes. Um, And, uh, and that's hopefully what we want to educate your viewers on today and also our, our brothers and sisters in, 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 in uniform uh, because there's a lot more that we can be doing. Right. Um, and uh, There's a lot more that we are we have to do. Correct, yeah. Because not, not that we can be doing. There's a lot more, after, like I said, a uh, lot, yeah. lot of, I stayed up late last night and I was just like, I was shocked. Yeah. So those are the different types of extremism. So let's talk about CVE. Okay. Right. Let's talk about the the, <laughs> the global. I know it's a lot, and yeah. I'm gonna, I'm trying to keep it interesting. Okay. But um, so here's the all the stakeholders in CVE. Right. So who does CVE affect? It affects everybody on this planet. Right. Because people that want to cause harm and kill us w- want to kill everybody. Right. So the the stakeholders are going to be um, uh, the non government organizations, a lot of nonprofits. You're going to have a uh, private sector like um, you can you can really anyone in the private sector, technology companies, uh, for profit companies, anyone, uh, mental health providers, uh, academia, uh, academics, uh, academia are very important in this because they're the ones that study and produce the um, strategy or at least the data for the people that make the strategy so they can talk real numbers. Right. Say, OK. Which group is giving us the, the most uh, trouble, right? Well, this group is. They've done this many attacks and this many times. In there. So then they have that data. The academic turns that over to the government agencies, right. and, and so they do that, right? Um, social service organizations that provide, uh, you know, uh, food assistance. They provide um, um, children assistance or housing assistance, a- a- anything, right? Social service organizations. Educators. Educators have a, a couple different hats in, in the countering violent extremism. You have a practitioner, which would go out and teach the community about CVE, um, and you have uh, the, the educators that teach the college courses about extremism, so on and so forth. Um, obviously, a com- the communities are a big part, the stakeholders, the, the lay community, um, and law enforcement would be um, the last leg of all of the people that our stakeholders in countering violent extremism. Right. Yeah, so that that's CVE, right? It's it's a big uh, it's a big uh, uh, effort. It's a global effort, meaning that every government. 
participates in a global countervailing uh, extremism task force. Right. Okay. Because it affects, it, it goes across, it, it doesn't recognize any lines, any countries. Uh, people that want to commit violence do it to everybody. Right. Which, yeah. which, uh, what we're going to do, this would have led to my next question. It would have, would have been a perfect segue into my next topic, which sure. would have been your travel and, sure. and teaching other governments and agencies. So, as a reminder, Observations is broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Observation Facebook page, the Observation YouTube channel, and now the Observations Twitter page. How do you like that? We're moving up. Uh, that page is at Observations underscore. At Observations underscore. Follow us on, uh, on Twitter if you would. We'd really love for you to follow us. If you have a question, comment, or a story you'd like to share, uh, we'd really like for you to join the conversation. It's a very good topic. Um, I know uh, a lot of people are wondering out there or have questions that they really would like to call and they're worried about it, but don't. You know, we like Rob said last week, we don't bite. So uh, give the uh, podcast studio a call toll free, 888-511-COPS, 888-511-2677. And don't forget, you can also instant message your questions and comments on our Facebook page. <laughs> you had one job, Danny, one job. Give him, give him a break. He's like, he's co-hosting and he's commercial. Some co-host. I, I haven't heard it, but three words from him since the show started. Anyway, uh, so let's get back real quick sure. to what I was going to discuss or ask you uh, because you were talking about other governments and other police law enforcement agencies. So your experience includes traveling the world for uh, Department Some of Homeland Security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You travel the world. You yeah, yeah, travel yeah. the world, or you don't. For me, the, the furthest I've been is uh, I think Las Vegas for. The NAB show for Ryan last yeah. last year, <laughs> yeah. but um, so uh, you go and you train other law enforcement agencies and governments on how to work together to battle CV. Mm -hmm. So tell us just a little bit uh, so we can get on into the project about some of the places you've been, your experiences, and how well it's it's received or you've been received. So um, my my task when I go there because I I have a very unique uh, uh, set of uh, qualifications, if you will, because I'm a Muslim community leader um, and also in law enforcement. Um, it gives me a very neutral approach, you know, to dealing um, with uh, countering violent extremism. The and there's there is a lot of opposition from the Muslim community. It's it's interesting because when you look at the other uh, communities that are having troubles. Um, they're, they're similarly reacting to the way that the mainstream, when I'm saying the mainstream, the majority of the Muslim community, right? So there's been an issue um, for the Muslim community regarding CVE was, well, all of this work, all of the CVE, right? When I, when I just went over everything, right? When I went over how many different groups there are, how many people different affect, the different reasons for CVE, Muslim uh, and Islam was, uh, you know, violent Muslims were in part of that. But when you look at the, the budgeting and when you look at the focus of the government, right, when we're talking about uh, the law enforcement aspect and, right. and, the, and their legislators, the majority of everything goes and focuses on the Muslim community, right? Which is what I discussed with you earlier, and I'm yeah. going to talk about in a second. So the reason I'm talking about that is, is there was uh, quite a bit of an uproar in the Muslim nationwide against me um, because they said, you know, Nazar, we know you're a good guy. You have ethics and, and you're, you're an upright person. You don't play games. Uh, but you have to recognize that the uh, 
the efforts of this CVE effort is only focusing on Muslims, right? Which creates a, a more unsafe, uh, uh, unsafe environment or society for everybody, right? So my, my, my response to them was, well, let me ask you something. If somebody from within the Muslim community is doing something, don't you think it would be appropriate law enforcement be informed and, you know, uh, if that person can be rehabilitated or intervene, we can do that. But if not, if he makes, if he crosses that threshold of breaking the law, law right, 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 he should be reported to law enforcement, absolutely. right? And they say, Correct. absolutely. I'm like, okay, so what's the problem? So the problem is the government's only looking at Muslims, right, for CVE. I said, okay, let me ask you a different question. How many people are attacking the Muslim community, right? Um, how many hate crimes are ha happening against Muslims? How many... Uh, things are happening against the Muslim community. That's also countering violent extremism, correct? Um, so when I, when I tell all the community leaders that, they just go blank because how can they come back at me and say, well, no, 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 that's not an issue. Of course it's an issue. Right. Anyone being attacked, and this could take the Muslim community, right? There's a, a small issue within the Muslim community the people that turn to violence to to deal with their grievances, right? There's there's a there's a small group, just like in every other group. Um, so that's was my approach. So anyway, uh, Department of Homeland Security heard my message, and they said you're you're absolutely right, right? So teach us how you do this. Teach us, you know, what are the the, the function? How does it function? What are the operations of it, right? right. And that's my background as an operation, so I could put that together for them. So that that grew, and they said, you know what? We're having an issue with ISIS recruitment in Marseille, in France. Um, can you go and work with the U.S. Embassy, with the, the, the French prefect, which is their, law, their national security and everything, right. and with their local law enforcement, and um, train them how to deal with this? Because they have uh, a lot of people leaving Marseille, France, to go join the ISIS, to go join ISIS, right? So I went, you know, and uh, we, we, I went there and um, uh, had an opportunity to get basically what you would say like briefings, security briefings from just everyone and everyone that was involved. And they were very appreciative of the U.S. government. And I took a lot of pride in that because here I'm a member of, of you know, the U.S., a U.S. citizen coming to help a different country. So I took a lot of pride in that. Right. Um, so anyway, security briefing, I said, okay, thanks. Stop talking. I want to go into the community. That's what I want to do because wow. I'm a practitioner. I'm on the ground. I'm, you know, right. I like to hear Hands things. On. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Absolutely. Let me get in there. So I get in there and I see something um, uh, was a little alarming, right? So uh, I'm more center in, in my in my in my views. You know, just about everything. Uh, but then I, I start going in. But then I started seeing like what the real problem was. And the real problem was that they were treated institutionally as an other. They were... They as in... The, the Muslim community okay. there, yeah. There was in Marseille is a, a very poor area. Um, a, a lot of Algerians, uh, you know, uh, a little history there. We don't need to get into that. But there was... A, it's a very poor area, okay. you know, in Marseille. And um, the, uh, the police were literally scared to go into certain areas. Like I, w I went to the police station, met with the command and, and did everything. And um, uh, and I'll talk about their technology in a little bit, but they were, they said, well, we don't go to this area. We don't go to this area. Um, and I said, why? 
And uh, they said, well, you know, this the danger, we've had an officer shot here, you know, we just, and we don't have the resources, you know, to do that. Um, so I said, okay, uh, do you have any Muslim officers? First thing I said, hey, do you have any Muslim officers? And they said, yeah, yeah, we do. And I said, okay, where are they? I want to meet them. So uh, they brought their, their Muslim officers to me, and I was talking to them through a translator because they, don't, they, they didn't speak any English except America. We love yeah. America. <laughs> so that was funny. Um, so anyway, so I went, and uh, I said, okay. I explained. I said, this is, do you know this to be a problem, right? And they knew this was a problem. So I told the command. I said, okay, let's do this. Let me go get the, the, the community leaders, right, the, 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 the religious leaders and everyone. And I said, I want them to meet with these Muslim officers. And I met with them, and they said, oh, yeah, we know them. We know them because they're from our community, right? Um, and I said, okay, um, command, talking to the law enforcement command, I said, put these officers in that community. Let them, no, 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 no. They said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. Well, why? No, 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 we couldn't do that. I said, okay, listen, you called me here to help you, right? Um, this is a very uh, practical, hands-on solution that you guys can put officers that the community trusts, and they trusted them. Put them in the community. Let them deal with the issue. Right. Um, so that was, you know, that was one aspect. Another thing that I, that I learned very quickly, that the people that were leaving to go join ISIS they had very, very little education. I saw their profiles. I saw who, very little education about the religion of Islam. They were nearly ignorant. And when they, they have a different criminal justice system than we do here. It's very interesting the way f the France does it. They have a very low prison population. Um, they have a, a, a intrigated rehabilitation mechanism in their in their incarceration in their system. system right? right so they get somebody they they put him in jail and as they, mm. they go they start rehabilitating them get them ready for work and they're in in and out of jail uh, a lot faster right so that there's a little different and that's including people that want to go join for isis but the the files and everything that i was reading it was they had a basic lack of resources and right. a disdain and, and a disconnect from the government so that was the reason, you know, in, in Marseille, you know, in, in Marseille, so, you know, France. And that was, that was an interesting trip. So that was my first trip. Um, then I got um, uh, called to go to Trinidad and Tobago, which is, uh, you know, it's an island, Caribbean, beautiful island. Right. Um, now, Trinidad and Tobago was interesting. Uh, they, ha they are the highest per capita in the world, the number of people leaving to go join ISIS. Really? In the world. And that's why I got called specifically. And is on that, that one. the same reason because their education and, and their different thing. reason there? Okay, similar but uh, different. There, when uh, you know, same thing. Met with all the people, the national security people, blah blah blah. Get right. you know all this interesting data. It was great. Um, but then uh, I met and I went to a borough. They're called boroughs. They're not called cities. They're called boroughs. So I went to the Shaguanas, right? And I and I. Uh, Spent some time with their command, but I also spent some time with their, their SWAT team, right? Which they're not called a SWAT team there, but that would be the, the equil uh, equivalent, right? right? The people that are heavily armed, they're doing that. And I spent, and they, and they speak English. So I was able to talk to them, they talked to me, and the, they had a, a, a group there called Unruly ISIS. That's what their, the name of the gang was, Unruly ISIS, right? So there it was money. It was money that the the indicator was that what was driving 
per capita to be the largest country in the world exporting fighters to ISIS. Money. Mm. They were being, ISIS was recruiting them with money. They were giving, saying, listen, if you come, we're going to give you this month, many thousands a month. Obviously, that was a lie. That never happened. Right. Um, but uh, we're coming. And I had an opportunity to sit with a uh, morning talk show host. He's a real funny guy. And his cousin was recruited by ISIS. Um, and this guy, and I talked to him, and I said, well, what was your cousin's uh, education, you know, on Islam? Um, he says, very little. You know, it was, you know, that, and it was about money. because it's still about the money. It was about, about the money. It was about money. It was about poverty. Right. It was about them not having resources, the government not giving them resources. Right. It's not like here. There, it's not like that. So you would say that the, the governments in them, in themselves were receptive to uh, to your yeah. coming and helping them and trying to get to bridge that gap between law enforcement and the community and stuff and, and work in, you know, battling CVE with community uh uh, community law enforcement, like yeah. uh, like building a bridge between the community leaders. Yeah, that's one part of it. Yeah, and absolutely. So you were you were received okay. Very. And, I even invited back, and I went back several times by the government, <laughs> the, the law government. enforcement equally as well mm -hmm. as receptive. It's absolutely. Just, uh, it's just not meshing, or what is the? I mean, what is the? I think uh, th there's a, a couple of. I mean, there's been improvements, right? There's but been there's still a disconnect. There, in, there's still a little disconnect, but I I wouldn't say. Um, uh, any more than where some of our society, even here in the U.S., is disconnected right. from the government, right? Uh, but that was a very specific issue that I was dealing with. You right. know, it wasn't, uh, you know, such large issues that we, you know, dealing with here. It was a very specific issue about ISIS recruitment. Okay. Um, so not only did I meet with law enforcement when I was in those countries, I also met with the Muslim community leaders. Right. Right. Um, and uh, and told them, you know, OK, tell me what's going on. This is the issue. So it's a very unique set. Right. Of, 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 of how I got involved with CVE. Um, and it, it's been very effective. So I've been blessed, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm happy and I'm proud to serve this country doing and, that. And so which would you know, when you talk about the different uh, the different types of violent extremism, which we touched just a little bit on before we went to break. Yeah. Um, to get uh, to move forward in that, um, as I have just recently just recently learned, um, there are so many types of violent extremism. Yeah. Um, and I know tonight's topic is focusing basically on law enforcement's yeah. counter. Sure. Because we're law enforcement officers and we're yeah. trying to to counter uh, uh, the the types that come after us. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. the ones that have no doubt in their mind that they will kill us or come, you know, come hurt us or whatever they have to do. Uh, in some cases, even target us and t and target us. Yeah, right. right. Um, but in researching the topic, and I I discussed this with you before, and I slightly mentioned it before we went to to break, that there are many misconceptions uh, between certain groups and uh, uh, and communities, and a lot of Americans. There are a lot. Like I said, you can go online and read and research, and there's all kinds of special, uh, you know, studies and all this other stuff that are found right there online. I mean, some of them are pages and pages, and you got to read through them. But when you read through them, pretty much you the the message that you get out of there, or one of the messages you get out of there, um, is they really have no idea uh, how many other different types they are. Yeah. They like you said about the the Muslim community. You know they're this much in this, but when when they're looked at, they're actually this much 
<laughs> you know, in the eyes of who's looking at them. Yeah. So um, they have no idea uh, other than uh, tying to uh, violent extremism to either a militia or a certain religious group. Correct. Period. Yeah. And it's and there are so many groups, like you said, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and I thought, you know, I would go to one page and I would see, well, there's this group, this group, this group, and and like I, you know, I was talking about the Columbia group and all that other stuff. And then I thought, okay, that's that's fine and dandy, but let me just double check and Google a little bit more. And then there's also this group, this group, this, and I'm like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It is so it's so big, and yet we focus on. Uh, uh, very a narrow specific focus. right yeah, yeah. specific militia sure. you know these crazy guys that live in the woods that target the government and religion muslims they want nothing to do but hurt it's it's there yeah it's in black and white and like i said until i did the show prep last night yeah i wouldn't have known you know it's very important well, well i love it's very that, important I, what you do i'd love to hear from you know your viewers you know what i mean to <clears> see what questions they have because i think that's part of the show and to educate people so i'd love to hear from them if they have any questions regarding it um i can tell you though um uh we don't need to look very far let's just look here in florida right we see how many uh mass shootings there have been recently right. um we see, you know, uh, from every religion, right? right. We have, uh, the, you know, from the Pulse, that was a, a Muslim uh, a man that did that in right. the Pulse shooting. And we have here Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, you know, right. so that, you know, that, that had nothing to do with religion, but that was a violent extremist act, right? right. Violent extremism. Right. Um, the, the, sh the shooting in the airport. I mean, uh, and that's happening all over the country, you know? And if you even go global, right? Look at what happened in New Zealand at Christchurch. Yeah. That guy was a white supremacist. He walked in and mowed all of those Muslims down like he was playing a video game, right? Yeah. Um, so that you know that was heartbreaking for me to watch. And if you've ever had the opportunity to watch that footage, I'm sure it'll, it breaks everyone's heart. I th actually, we went through training, I believe. You yeah. know, at the at that's the pretty SO. rough to watch. I mean, in training. I mean, you have these people that are just praying, and this guy goes in there full swatted out, you know, yeah. or not swat, but you know, tacked out, and um, and just mows him down. So um, it's it's something that um, that every member of our country needs to be concerned with but now to wrap it around into our conversation about law enforcement you know because we focus on law enforcement here um it's extremely important for us to uh, know first of all what the issues are typically it's reserved for like sid right for for specialty units right uh like uh, you know uh, a jttf or strategic investigations unit or the fbi or feds but let me tell you something we are on the ground Right. We are in the cities. We are the ones in our patrol cars with our rifles and our shotguns. Right. Without you know, we are the ones that are responding to these incidents. Right. Um, and it, it's our responsibility as law enforcement officers to have that knowledge. Right. Right. And that's hopefully what we can accomplish a little tonight is give people a little more knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, definitely. Before before I go on, I got uh, this. Um, who is one of uh, viewers asking? Who is who do you think uh, the biggest threat in the U.S. is? I think that uh, uh, I'm not going to narrow it down to one group uh, because uh, that, that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, I think that violent extremism uh, has no uh, unique face. It could be a Christian. It could be a Muslim. It could be a Jew. It could be a white supremacist. It could be a leftist. It could be a rightist. Um, and 
uh, the the animal, animal rights, rights person. groups. I was surprised that was that you know anti rights no, groups were in there. Abortion. That's all included. Yeah. In in that in those class in those oh. different types of and I, I would never have associated that. Yeah. You know when you when you hear that. The the violent extremism. I mean, until you educate yourself, your mind is driven to this. Correct. Column. Yeah. And and so you're right. It's up to us as law enforcement officers to gain the knowledge yep. and use it as a tool. Correct. When we hit the streets and yeah. and yeah. and and uh, ser- and serve the public, so we we can better serve the public so yeah well i mean to to answer your your like i said i'll just wrap up in 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 regarding this question um uh any type of violent extremism any type of organized violent extremism where uh innocent people are being targeted that's our our biggest our biggest issue right now if the viewer is asking where should we put more resources well i think that we have the data you know to do that we have the fbi's uh, analysis we have university analysis about who's creating um, uh, more, uh, uh, more deaths, more attacks, right? We have that data, right? Uh, but I think it's important for everyone to stay in their lane. So that data is important for law enforcement, right? right? Because we're the ones that are investigating and doing and making sure everybody's safe. Um, and I think uh, it's also good for the legislators to have that data, right? To you know, so they can make oh, yes, laws and they important. can point people. Yeah. Uh, but then, we'll, but if we say to the lay member saying, okay, uh, white supremacy is uh, the biggest threat here in the United States, then um, all the other groups in, in the eyes of everyone else or the layperson are going to be ignored. So it's not appropriate, and I don't think we should do that. So we should address it globally. You know, we should address it. You know. Right. So and then so pretty much we've basically answered what my next question was going to be, was how you got the position with the Department of Homeland Security um, and, and your, your actual title or position with them is a subject matter expert. Is your, yeah, it's is uh, your... so I'm not uh, okay. So let me. Uh, so there's no uh, questions. I'm not an employee of DHS. Right, right, right. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, no yeah. I'm not saying <laughs> if you know, SME, that's the way. Yeah, it... it's a SME, a subject matter expert uh, regarding community relations right. with that specific uh, 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 specialty, Muslim relations right. uh, with law enforcement and the government. Right. Um, so that that was my uh, you know that's how I got involved. Okay, so that's uh, that. Like I said, that would answer that answered that next question that I would have. So, um, so as a uh, as a subject matter expert in CVE, mm-hmm. what I think I think you might have mentioned this, but maybe I missed it. But what do you think your biggest obstacle you you as a subject matter expert is in in uh, creating this bridge and bringing community policing uh, with the community and the law enforcement together um, to counter violent extremism. What do you think is your biggest obstacle? Trust. Trust is, is, uh, and I know that's gonna hit home a lot with with everyone involved. So let me talk about trust for a little bit. So, um, you know, you've known me for a while, Tony, you know, a lot of people don't trust me, right? Except for the people that know me and that have worked with me um, and know what I'm about and know know my ethics and know what I stand for. So law enforcement, if you use that example, um, and I'm a member of the law enforcement community, right? right? 
So that's an obstacle is even internally we have trust issues. Um, and I don't want to get into specifics. Right. But no, yeah, not asking you to. Yeah, yeah we, we, we have trust issues internally because this person says this about this person. Not based in fact, not based in anything except this person said this and he knows this and tied to this. And yeah, so the old of, telephone game. Yeah, right? the old yeah. bullshit, right? <laughs> um, so there's a trust issue. Now, also, law enforcement regarding trust, Not forget about internally. Forget about the, the let's talk about law enforcement uh, c- a relationship with the community when you're talking about countering violent extremism. Talk about it because it's the word trust I'm talking right, about. Right, right. So if you were, let's say, Tony, you're a member of the Muslim community. And um, the government came to you and said, hey, we want to do countering violent extremism. Same pitch, everything that I just said about how broad it is and everything. But then you find out that 90% of the budget spent on it is just focusing on you and your faith. Are you going to have a trust issue there? Mm. That's a trust issue. And that's what uh, that's some of the issue that CVE has. Right. Um, Is trust between the community and trust between law enforcement and the government, right? Because now it's a different situation. Now, how am I able to navigate that inside the Muslim community, right? Because I go, hold on, Nazar is a, right. he's a he's a snitch or he's a what's a, an informant, right? So you get that that stuff a lot. So you know, I'm uh, I'm no snitch. And does it work the the same way? On the opposite, uh, when you go into the community, oh, he's a law enforcement. We don't trust him. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work out. You get it. You get it sometimes. But yeah. uh, you know, I've been in this community for my whole life. Um, I've been in the community leadership role for over a decade. Um, and one thing about me is I, I don't play games. If somebody is breaking the law, I'm going to let them know very quickly that they're breaking the law. And right. the people that need to know about that person are going to know about them almost immediately. Right. I mean, I, I set that expectation. And I, I talk to everyone, you know, about that. That's my line. People say, what's your line? You know, if you get information right about we're talking about trust now. And I always tell if I find out that somebody did is or will break the law, I'm done with that person. Have is or will right past, present, future. That person will be uh, reported to the appropriate agencies, whoever it is, whatever jurisdiction, whatever it is. And and and. The CVE goal is just that. The CVE goal is, okay, so we have a relationship with the community and we want to help people when uh, intervention is appropriate, but we also want to make sure that law enforcement has the ability to do their job with the, the intel, right? right? Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's based, so trust is, is, is going to be the biggest issue and all of us can help that. You know, right. all of us can help uh, overcome that trust issue. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. What about um, we've uh, I've noticed a, uh, an issue with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and, and CV. Do you find this a growing uh, concern? The the mental issue aspect of it. Yeah, I think uh, you know I do quite a a, a bit of um, CVE work and and dealing with. Uh, different JTTFs, different federal agencies, and everything, and anyone that's in the business of investigating, you know, uh, you know, special investigations or terrorism investigations, right. they're all going to tell you that we are seeing a huge rise in mental illness. A lot of the cases they get are involving people that have mental illness, right? Um, and uh, that's also part of the 
you know, the, the stakeholders, if you remember about the, the mental health providers, remember I, I mentioned that in yep. the beginning? Yes, I did. Um, so th that's also another part of this, this problem. So let's say for, I'm going to just be vague, but there's, you know, so many cases that, that we've had, we've had somebody, you know, walk into a, a church and say, I'm going to blow this place up. Right. Um, and it happens to be a member of the Muslim community. So obviously I get the call very quickly and we get the appropriate personnel to go secure this person and interview this person. And it's quickly determined, very quickly, this person has a mental illness. He has no capability of doing this. He has, uh, you know, no finances to do this. Right. He can't, he just, he just, he just has a mental illness. So what does law enforcement do with that person? What can law enforcement do with that person? We can Baker Act. We can right. get them. You know, we can get them. But uh, then the Baker Act, the Baker Act, as you and I both know, yeah. it, it's a revolving door with that. A lot of the times um, it's a three day. Yeah. You know, and then it's a doctor saying, OK, here's the medication you need to take. And then it's, you know, out on the streets and there's no continued care. Correct. For those people. Whereas years ago, when I when I first became a deputy, we had. Uh, South Florida State Hospital, State Hospital and we, had, we had places that would actually, you know, we can actually bring them to and they can get treatment. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's just, a, like I said, a revolving door. It's, you know, you have a problem and, and a lot of them recognize they have problems and they'll say, I have a problem. I really need help. Okay, well, I want to get you that help as law enforcement. And we really do want to get them the help. We do. And we, we, we bring them to that, this it's basically a dead end, I consider it, because we bring it to them. They're treated for the three days. Sometimes they're released the same day, mm -hmm. which I find. <laughs> um, but like I said, it's all about, you know, medicating. Here's your prescription. Yeah. Go away. So let me talk. Let me put this in the context of CVE. Right. Okay. So now what is the CVE model supposed to do? So and this has happened. It's happened several times here in South Florida with different agencies. So we get this call. This guy says, I mean, it goes into a church. We do this. We secure him. The guy, Nazar, this guy is just mental. Right. He needs help beyond what our government system can do. So where do we turn? We turn to our non-government agencies, our nonprofits. Our so that's the yeah. partnership to our community-based right. organizations. Right. So now in this particular situation, um, we get this individual uh, uh, sit down, continued counseling, we get him because he had a resource issue as well. He had no job. He had no place to live. So we were able to, through the network that we've created, we get this guy some housing. We right. get him continuous uh, counseling right. and uh, to try to help him. You know, And there's a lot of wins and there's a lot of losses. Yeah. But the CVE uh, goal is to have the network. So let's say, for instance, you're an agent, Tony, and you're investigating and you say, man, this guy... I don't want to arrest this guy. He's just, he, he has mental issues. He's schizophrenic. He, he's been off his meds or he has PTSD, right? right. We, want to, we want to get this guy help, but we are restricted as, right. as, as employees of the government. We, can't, we can only go so far, like right. you said. So that's the purpose of CVE. Yeah. So they're, they're actually, so somehow uh, the government and the community in that in in that aspect of treatment mm -hmm. something's got to be done because a lot of the time a lot of these people and you know by being on the homeless outreach and and, and CIT um, a lot of these people are perfectly happy where they are when like when they're homeless or and they have issues um, 
and they would rather be on the streets, not be bothered, not not go, you know, because they feel uh, more uh, protected, not confined to these shelters or whatever help that we get, we can give to them as a government agency. Yeah. But we need we need an extra step um, where it doesn't end at dropping them off at the hospital and the doctor yeah. says, here you go, you know, and then, you know, next week, you know, two days later, they're calling again. Oh, he's on the bus bench again. You know, people can't get on the bus. You know, there's got to be another step because mental health is a huge, not only in, in you know, the CV, yeah. mental health, and you know, is a huge, huge problem in this country. Yeah. And there's got to be, uh, there's got to be an uprising. Well, you know, uh, Something that's interesting fact, I don't know if you remember this fact, when we went through CIT training, Florida is one of the worst underfunded states yes. in the country when it comes to mental health yeah. funding, right? Um, so maybe AOC could do that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could get some funding for, for mental health. Yeah. Uh, if she um, could do that, that yeah. would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome because... Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, and it seems like we have like the most here. I mean, you know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, not literally, and I'm not being offensive to anybody or anything, but, but it literally, it is absolutely crazy that we cannot um, reel in this issue, the mental health issue, yeah. especially in the state. Well, first of all, we're a retirement, not only, you know, we're dealing with mental issue, uh, you know, the people that we deal with on a daily basis, but then you're dealing with you know, Alzheimer's, you're dealing with dementia and stuff like that. People are already having, you know, mental issues medically for, for, you know what I mean? For in old age, because it's a retirement state, Yeah. you know? So compound that, compound the issue that we have with the retirement state and the issues that in the medical issues we deal with as we get older in life yeah. and nobody really, nobody can, you know, say, listen, it's time to, it's time to deal with this head on. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. It's it's just. It, I don't know. We can we can talk about this yeah. forever, forever because yeah. it, it's like a big circle. Um, it is. A lot of it reverts back to the mental health issues and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, moving on, another question that I had for you was sure. um, instances and in specific instances uh, because we're we're obviously uh, reaping the benefits of CV. In, in law enforcement yeah specific incidents uh, cases that were filed by law filed by law enforcement Are you familiar with any like is it happening of course is it like huge is it getting there you know what's the yeah um, so re remember I, I I just want to be clear I, I, I speak in my capacity right right I cannot speak for all of the different stakeholders so I can speak in my capacity as a Muslim community leader right and the relationships I've built with various uh, agencies, agencies across right. the country, right? right? Um, so um, part of, I said, is that this trust word, right? Mm -hmm. Trust. How, how do I trust somebody to call them, to give them information that's not going to come back on me? We get this all the time when we're, we're doing regular investigations on the road. We get some, you know, a theft, a robbery, a rape or something. But I'm not saying nothing. I don't right. Know, you know, right? right? So how do we get information? And I'm talking in my capacity as a Muslim community leader, right? Is if somebody says something that, like I said, is has, will, or in the, or has, is, or will commit a crime, how can I open that line of communication, right, with somebody that I trust? So, how did I accomplish that? So, I went 
through the entire state of Florida with over a hundred different mosques and also different states in the southeast region of the U.S. and um, educated them. You remember part of the stakeholder I said educators when I went in the beginning? Right. So I educated them on what violent extremism is. I educated them on what their rights are. That's very important for the community to know what their rights right. are. I'm not talking about uh, your rights on dealing with law enforcement. That's right. not what right you know. Right to remain silent. Everything you say, you know. You, but, but, you know we we read them their rights all the time. Right. <laughs> I'm talking about from a community dealing with co- uh, countering violent extremism perspective. So I would teach them, and you probably saw, and a lot of your viewers probably saw me blasted all over the news with blue guns and uh, you know Hamzy's teaching people in mosque how to use guns. <laughs> <and> such, <laughs> remember what people say, blah blah blah. Right. right. So what I was doing was teaching them first how to protect themselves. Run, hide, fight, right? The active shooter because of all the mass shootings. So I'm giving them information on how to protect themselves. Right, which is what we give them as law enforcement. Right. Run, hide, fight. Correct, what anybody does, right? But because I'm Muslim and because I'm in a mosque, it's now so (laughs) controversial that this guy, right? So... um, uh, this is one of the gazillion uh, uh, propaganda things. But anyway, so the trust. So I teach the community, and I also inform the community, listen, if you see or hear anything of anybody talking about violence that they have, planning, or they, they are doing it, or they will do it, I want you to call me directly. You will remain anonymous. I will not tell anybody but you have a responsibility just like I have a responsibility because this is our country we go to work here we raise our kids here and I need to hear from you directly and it works right over a dozen times it has worked over the last five or four years that that I was I started the program right many of them you probably have seen arrest uh, you know from it even recently Um, also a lot of intervention cases where remember the example I gave about the guy going to the church that happened that happened right and we were able to to divert that guy and get him resources for the people that want to get the the help so the model works but it has to be built on trust right Uh, now what does trust mean it has to be transparent you have to be transparent you can't be have a hidden agenda right right? I want you to be uh, right listen there's a part of law enforcement that I know that need to operate in the shadow I'm not talking about that they have to do what they do that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. They right. continue doing what they're doing. Um, I'm talking about the CV effort, which is a community-based transparent effort, right? Um, and it works. It really does work. Um, and you know, hopefully we can educate some law enforcement officers and community members to do the same thing. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we, we got through to some people tonight too and have their you know, gears yeah. spinning and have them looking into more stuff and I wish they would call and you know ask some questions. I know there's people with burning questions or comments. Yeah, you know, that I they wish they say, would call. Yeah, yeah, I don't bite. Can, you know, <laughs> they can call. I mean, it's a it's, we're an honest show. You know, we don't we don't run from controversy in this sure. in this uh, podcast. And one of the biggest things, and we, we've told people, we won't run from controversy. We don't get political. We don't get religious. We don't yeah. run from but well, we don't run from controversy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll cover the topics that law enforcement officers need to cover, yeah. and we and and give them the tools that they need. Um, to to do that. I mean, and yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know, this topic I thought was very important, and 
and other law enforcement officers need to educate themselves on it. Yes. Because it's another tool in your toolbox. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to be, you know, a couple more years, I'm done. I mean, I'm in the drop. I'm done. Yeah. You know, so I have this tool for the next few years, but I'm gone after that. But the next guy, like Mark, 30, 30, 30 years. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Mark, 30 years, he's got to go. And um, this will be a tool that he can use for the next 30 years. Yeah. He didn't learn it late in his career like I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's only three, three years, 10 months to go. Sure. So I think it's very important. Um, and it's not going to, uh, it's, it's not gonna uh, change the opinions and views of everybody, um, but it, I think it will uh, make people a, a little less naive and a little more understanding as to what really is going on here. Yeah. Not that there's an underlying, you know, agenda yeah, or, yeah. you know, to, so, I mean, you and I worked together, uh, I think when I first met you, I never knew you, I mean, I've heard yeah, the yeah. stories and I, you know, I came to you sure. and, and I spoke with you and I, you and I had a one-on-one -on -one and I told you exactly you know my my feelings and everything and and never had an issue or anything since then you, yeah. you know well, i count on you just as much as i count on the next guy to be there when i'm you know yeah. needing it of course and and i have no doubt in my mind that i won't i won't get that from you yeah so i have no doubt in my second. mind yeah. um anyway so your position uh or your participation in cv mm. in cve um, back to, I think what, uh, the question was, was going to be about the participation in CVE with the sheriff's office yeah. and it's effects, positives, negatives. I mean, what, what yeah. uh, does the sheriff's office have a problem with it or, you know, are they pretty, you know, workable with you and stuff like that? Well, remember, remember what you asked me about what's the most, uh, or the least favorite thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so my least favorite thing is the politics. So it's an interesting thing that I've had to navigate. And one thing that I, uh, I, I don't do is I don't mix um, my different hats. You know, I have authorized off-duty employment with the sheriff's office, with every administration, you know, that, that right. I've had. Um, and uh, I can tell you that there's been a, a lot of... Um, uh, regarding uh, the actual cases or reported cases, quite a few. Yeah. Um, you know, to dealing with SID and those guys, a bu great bunch of guys there, and they work real hard. And, Good. Um, and not just with the SO, though, with BSO, with uh, Miami-Dade, with, you know, Palm Beach, with Orange County, Hillsborough, just a lot, you know, because I'm, uh, I, 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 I traveled quite a bit you yeah. know, when I first started this. Um, so the... Th that relationship is very defined. Um, there's, you know, I'm a, a deputy sheriff just like you and just like, you know, the thousands of other men and women that put their life on the line and I, I maintain that integrity and I never do anything under the color of, of the sheriff. Um, however, I do have a different hat that I wear and that's a community leader. So I know how to navigate that. So that's how the relationship's been. Uh, could it be better? Could it have uh, increased the, you know, uh, created more opportunity to advance the CVE purpose? 
absolutely. There, there is always opportunity to improve. Um, but uh, for me personally, um, I've been able to navigate and learn, you know, and, and see, how, you know, how we have to deal with it. Yeah. But there's so much more that we can do. And hopefully that's what I'm on the show. You know, and we'll talk about that, I guess, when we're ready. But what can we do as law enforcement officers, right. the, the ones on the road, uh, what can we do? Yeah. Know, as to, and to as a matter of fact, uh, what uh, my next question before uh, that would was going to be uh, the dangers that are actually faced, uh, law enforcement officers face yeah. um, every day. What, what, you know, what dangers do we have to actually? Well, I mean, in the context of the CVE, I believe you're asking me. Right, correct? in context yeah. of the CVE. I mean, the what, j- our dangers of our job are- No, 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 I know the dangers of, of our job, yeah, but yeah. in specific, uh, like what, what should the officer that's listening, what are the things that they have to watch out for? What are the dangers that are actually out there that they may not be aware of? Well, our, um, you know, we have fusion centers, and um, I think a lot of us maybe uh, we rely a lot on, on our command to share information with us regarding, um, you know, any pot- uh, potential intel of anyone uh, targeting police. You know, we've had several instances that have, uh, over the last couple of years regarding, um, you know, threats, direct threats to law enforcement here in South Florida. So, um, you know, that's uh, from a particular group or, uh, you know, a, a movement, if you will, uh, you know, targeting law enforcement. So I think uh, first, the first thing we have to do as law enforcement is we have to educate ourselves. Right. Um, I know we have a hard job. I know we're busy, you know, 65 and calls all the time. Uh, but it's important for us to spend a little extra time um, to uh, educate ourselves. And that information is free you know, on the internet. And I think it's important to be careful where we're getting information uh, on to educate ourselves. Obviously, the US government is our, our trusted resources, you know, for us to get that uh, information. But just like you said, Tony, yourself, you had no idea about violent extremism and the effort and, and uh, about countering violent extremism and how many extremist groups there were. Right. They're all over the place. Um, so I think uh, the first thing is that that uh, uh, the law enforcement agent on the ground should educate themselves about what violent extremism is and right. all the different angles in, that it's coming from, right? Um, another thing that I like to say when I'm talking to law enforcement is we cannot arrest our way out of this right. problem. I was going to ask you about that because it would help if I put my microphone on. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about that because yeah. in one of the things where I was, we were going to talk about where law enforcement can make a difference, what, sure. what can agencies do to be safe and make a difference. Uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, you had uh, put down that you wanted to discuss was the fact that you can't arrest, uh, you know, your way out of, you know, to make this any better or whatever. Arresting is not going to be the answer to, yeah. Your, yeah. to, the, to the problem. So what can uh, law enforcement agencies do to make a difference? Well, I think from an agency perspective, if I talk bigger first, and then I'll come down to, um, you know, the, the uh, us, you know, on the road. I think the the agencies have to um, provide equity when they're dealing with their their uh, their law enforcement agents uh, or their officers. Um, so, as I said, the politics are very difficult, and it it really does leave a lot of bad feelings in. Uh, and individuals, uh, you know, pride in their workforce. When people are 
um, sucked in and not based on the work performance or what they do, but based on what other people say. Right. They're treated differently because of their religion or whatever, you know, whatever uh, their race, whatever it is, or whatever group they're supposedly, you know, involved with or this the, and that. The basics the of that were, were taught as law enforcement officers to not profile is Correct. exactly what. Correct. So uh, I think it's important uh, agencies to, to, to accomplish that. And in, in the CVE aspect, it's very difficult to agent, for agencies to navigate that. Why? Because of the trust issue right. that the community has to, to trust. It, it's, so it's, uh, it's important for law enforcement agencies to build real relationships with real members of the community. What does that mean? During my travels, I've seen uh, people, um, and it happens in politics all the time, but uh, let's say, for instance, we want to, let's say the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office wants to establish a relationship with the Muslim community, right? So the Muslim community knows in Palm Beach County who their leadership is and who, uh, who, you know, who should be the one contact to get the message out to everyone for equity and everything, right? right? But what I see a lot of times the agencies do is they pick somebody that knows one or two people that they know one or two people that are influential and powerful, right? So this becomes a trust issue. So when agencies start picking the onesies or right. the twosies, the lay community, the majority of the community, not just in the Muslim community, this is across the board, right? Um, the community does not trust them. This is, hold on, this, who is this guy? This guy, I've seen this guy maybe one time or I've never seen him before, and he's a spokesperson for the, our, our right. community, right, stuff like that. So I think the agencies need to do um, uh, a better job of making true connections with the actual people in the community, right, uh, from an agency perspective. Next thing is, and I, I see a lot of this happening now, is the agencies, like that example I gave in Marseille in France when I was there, you know, let the, let the community uh, uh, see a representative of the agency that's from that community. And I see a lot more agencies doing that these days, uh, but there is still a lot more, you know, opportunity, you yeah. know, to accomplish that. Um, and then I think that the, the, the last thing the agencies uh, uh, should do from a global pr perspective about countering violent extremism is to educate because I have never been educated by the SO about CVE, yeah. ever. You haven't no. ever, right? Um, and mm. this is such an important issue that why wouldn't all of us know about that? It doesn't make sense, right? So now we have somebody that's never have it and you have somebody that's a subject matter expert and there's too much disparity. There's right. too much gray area. Yeah, um, a lot of gray and, area. Yeah, there's a lot of gray area. So I think that from an agency perspective uh, that any agency would do uh, a better job of, of explaining that, you know, and in partnering with, all of the stakeholders, you know, to accomplish that. So from an agency uh, perspective, I think that would be good. Um, now, as far as us on the road, we aren't dealing with violent extreme extremists every day. We just not. Everybody knows that. You know, it's it's our jobs. You know, we're doing domestic violence calls, we're doing burglaries, we're doing robberies, we're right. doing rapes. But about you, right? We're we're not in the 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 realm of the violent extremist. So what do we do? What can we do to make a difference? Right. Um, Number one, like I said, we, we have to realize we can't arrest our way out of this. Right. Um, so that's number one. Um, when we come across a group of individuals um, or an individual that is so bold that they blatantly tell us 
that they want to wish harm to a certain group of community um, or they use um, uh, any type of expression that they have are or will break the law, which would be violence. Including against us. Any group, right? Any group. Um, then we need to do a, a better job. So what does that mean? Let me give you an example. So okay. let's say, for instance, you know, we unfortunately we, we deal with a lot of racist. Yeah. Different races from ever. It doesn't matter what race. Right. No, no one in particular. Yeah. I've been I've been general. called uh, uh, been there. Done be that. BS cracker. I mean, listen, I right. We deal with racist on everywhere from every yep. race. Right. So we deal with that. So now, okay, so how does this deal with countering violent extremism? Okay, so let's say, for instance, I'll, I'll tell you one time that I, I came across, um, uh, he's a Caucasian guy, he's a white guy, and he was throwing N-bombs and saying this and saying that, and that's not against the law, you know, I can't really say that, you know, but I was just uh, sitting in him. I wear shades when I'm on duty, so he couldn't see what I was doing. I was just, you know, I was looking at him. Um, and then he expressed, he said, you know what? I, I want to go shoot, because he was upset that we were being shot. The police were being shot, right? So he was so upset that that uh, 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 individual shot an officer that he started to get upset. Like he thought he was building a bond with me, right? Saying that, oh, this officer got shot. Remember the shootings that we have we were getting executed? You know, our oh, fellow yeah, officers yeah. are getting. So he said, oh, and this. Still and, happening. And one, the one guy who was. Correct. Ambushed in a in a uh, yeah it happens serving a warrant frequently. correct so him saying that expressing his frustration I understand I certainly don't agree with his point of view right his racist point of view but he can say whatever he wants right however he did turn and express um, uh, his thoughts about committing violence against a certain group of people all right so we hear that more frequently than not. You know, you'd be surprised when I talk to fellow officers and do that. We we hear that quite a bit, right? So that's not a freedom of speech issue anymore. Right. Once correct you've, you've Yeah, you've crossed that line. Right, you started turned the page. You started yep. you said, okay, this person, this, this person, that's fine, but hold on. I want to go do this and commit some violence. Right. Oh, oh. Right? So we talk to them and say, Oh, tell me about that, right? Um, so you get that information. We get that intel and, and and we don't ignore it. I think that's where really us as officers, we have to take that seriously. Um, and we have to report it no matter what. We have to have equity, right? We have to get the people involved that are, are doing this. So now let's say that so we have a threat assessment unit, right? So we have this information, we, we, we write our alpha, we get it to the to, to the right person. What they do with it is their that that's their job. Right. 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 That's their job. Uh, but so officers, we can do that. Another thing that we can do is we can get better at using technology, investigating technology, right? A lot of people are using social media these days. A lot of people are uh, posting things on the internet. A lot of things uh, are instant and come off, right? They post it, it comes off. So there's no record of it, right? So even myself, my like your son's generation right now. If if, if I'm sure if we were asking uh, to ask him to help us investigate something, we need to find something. He'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. he'll have it right up. But we're not there yet, right? Right. So I think as as officers, we can do better on integrating technology when it comes to CVE into our investigations, right? Even as a single officer, we can do that. We can go on Facebook. We can go on Instagram. We can do all that. We can take uh, screenshots, you know. So that's something that we can, you know, make a conscious effort. Or we can. 
partner at an institutional level, right? right? Something we can do at an institutional level is partner with the, the technology companies. When it comes to violent extremism, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about violating people's rights. Right, right. It's very important. When we're talking about someone that has made a conscientious effort, speech, action, or something that they have are or will break the law, that is now when law enforcement gets involved, right? So we can build, um, uh, you know, relationships with with technology companies regarding that and the technology companies are very protective over their everybody's well, I was just going to say that i mean there's yeah. a there's a lot um i mean we've seen several examples in the past few years where uh certain agencies have gone to these companies and said we want this information and they've said no mm-hmm. <laughs> well so, so you know in, and i understand you yeah. know the, the violating the right stuff um it's a long way away. There's uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of legwork that's going to have to be done, and back and forth. And well, I don't some, know. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll be, but it's not anytime soon. Well, let me t- let me explain to you so you know. And probably the majority of the agencies just don't know this. Um, there's already a working group, the global CVE effort. You have all the big shots there. And I've been to meetings with them, everything, and they want to work with law enforcement, right? So you have Google, you have Facebook, you have YouTube, you have all of these people, these big jaggernauts in technology that want to work with law enforcement when it comes to preventing violent extremism, not profiling based on someone's religious views or their whatever they want, but when it comes to violent extremism. And all we have to do is make that connection and reach out to them. So what is... The connection. What is the holdback? What is the... First, nobody knows. Like if I was to go ask the majority of the command right now, if they say, hey, did you know that uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube, they're all in the CVE working, global working group, and they're willing to work with law enforcement? No, no, no. I had no idea. Because nobody's educated on it. Do you understand? So that's why I'm saying even us, we can educate ourselves in that. And we can, you, you can, even as a lay officer, you can be involved with CVE as a community member. Right. Right. And you can build those relationships. So technology partnerships are very important. Um, Intervention when appropriate. So what does intervention mean? Intervention means that example that I gave. Remember the guy, the guy that said in the church. Now, he 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 turned the page when he said, I'm going to blow the church up. Right. So we let the appropriate people. Uh, get involved with that. They investigated. They made a determination. He had a mental illness. We, we got him the help. But there's sometimes when we get information, when we deal with people, when they don't turn the page. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What happens when they don't? When, <laughs> when they, don't. they don't turn the page. So what do we have to have in place? The the SO, we have a lot of good uh, county resources. Um, so we have to uh, know our resources. You you got very familiar with them in the CIT training, right? Yep. In the crisis intervention training. Yep. Um, with, you know, Henderson, all these different mental health issues. Uh, but sometimes that's not enough. Um, so we need to educate ourselves better on community-run organizations, which there are quite a few, um, as well as the SO organizations that can deal with intervention and issues like that. So when we're dealing with somebody, um, that we can get them the help, you know, if they choose to get it. All right. Um, another thing that I can say, because uh, a lot of, you know, we're, we're on the executive side of things. We're, we're taking away people's liberty. You know, we're, we're arresting people. Right. On the prosecution side, um, you know, on, on, that, on that side of law enforcement, I think I've seen um, quite a bit of overzealous prosecution. So as individuals, as prosecutors that um, 
treat with equity. Remember this word, trust and equity. Trust and equity. So if we can prosecute and not be overzealous in the prosecution, we'll probably say, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if this guy wasn't Muslim, would I prosecute him, right? Would I do this, would do that? You know, I've seen uh, circumstances, let's go back to the trust issue, um, where we've had religious leaders, and this is real, that were thrown in jail for two years here in South Florida. And when the prosecution rested their case, the judge got off the sand and said, I am sorry you have been in jail for two years. I cannot in good conscience leave you in jail for one more day. You have had no evidence put forward to you to keep you in jail. And that's happened. Mm. Another individual arrested, put in jail for a year and a half. Freedom taken away. This is for, right? This is from overzealous prosecution. A year and a half. This is an American citizen now. And then released with no explanation. You understand? Yep. So this type of things create trust. Remember, trust and equity. Trust and equity. So this type of, and for our prosecutors that are watching, um, that, that's important, right? If you're treating somebody different based on their nationality, race, religion, gender, then you and you and yourself are violating the Constitution, right? right? Because that, we shouldn't be like that. We right. should say, you broke the law. This is what we're going off, right? And, and that's what we're doing. So those are some things that we can do on the local level, um, you know, to um, enhance and, and fight against uh, violent extremism. Very good. Yeah. Very good. It was a very, uh, very informative discussion. We yes. did. I think it was, a, it was a really good show. I mean, like I said, I, I knew it was going to last uh, because, like I said, I don't think we were scratching the surface on it. There's so much to learn about it. I mean, yeah, there is. it's... Uh, it's a, it's a process. It's a it's going to take time. I mean, yeah. but you know, like I said, we we need we need to start somewhere. Um, I'm glad we got to have this talk and yeah. stuff. Um, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. So, like I said, uh, I'm 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 really glad we had this talk. I was I'm really glad you got to come in and and um, and explain more in detail and give a better understanding to people. And hopefully, hopefully, we gave a better understanding to people. And uh, you know. As law enforcement officers, we have a huge task, and we're everything from counselors, you know, to not only in in everyday lives and how people uh, handle their families and stuff like that, but also in grieving. Yeah. You know, we. Uh, my favorite line to people is, "You do not want to see what my eyes have seen. You right. do not want to see what my eyes have seen." Yeah. We go through so much and uh and then deal with it and go home and you know there, there was a point in my life where it affected my personal life and it took my wife waking me up and telling me you know bluntly to my face what it, that i needed to wake up and smell the coffee because of what was happening and it hurt me it hurt me bad you know and then you got to learn to deal with it and and in you know certain way um that it doesn't affect you for the rest of your life and it doesn't affect you in your day-to-day -day law enforcement, uh, you know, duties. Getting in that car, you know, having those kind of, you know, thoughts and all this other stuff and being, you know, between, because there are racist cops out there, there yeah. are criminal, you know, there are crooks, they're stealing. I mean, guys are losing their their, their livelihood for, you know, shoplifting. Nonsense. I mean, really, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and another thing is that law enforcement in itself 
we have to get back to um, to it actually meaning something to be a law enforcement officer. The oath has to mean something to us, you know. And I, like I said, I'm out of here in three three years, ten months. Um, there's got to be a big change when it happens. I have no clue, but you know, this is a positive step in the direction where we need to go. Yeah, people need to know. They need to educate themselves. Yeah, and and that's how we're going to get there. So and and maybe you can get to the sheriff and say, hey, listen, maybe let's sit down. Maybe we could do this, this, this. Who knows? Maybe start another unit, whatever. Who knows? I'm, yeah. You you only got seven years in, so you got a while to go too. But that's completely up politics, to you. Politics, politics. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a big thing. The discussion tonight has been countering violent extremism. I'd like to thank our very special guest and uh, and my partner out on the streets there during the day, uh, Nazar. Yep. Hamzy, thanks or for Hammer. Me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It really was a good show. I hope you come back and join us sometime because yeah, uh, it was very, very informative. <clears throat> Before I close with our tribute to the fallen, I'd like to share some final words with you that I found pertaining to tonight's topic. The First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution protects the freedoms of speech, press, religion, and assembly. It is important to remember that extremism and radicalization themselves are not crimes. As long as individuals and groups do not partake in or facilitate acts of violence or crimes, even those who possess or espouse the most heinous of views must be protected. Community policing is best positioned to achieve the dual goals of protecting communities from attacks and protecting civil rights and liberties. The moral example set by the freedoms in the Constitution must never be outshined by suspicion or the desire to silence ideologies that are not considered mainstream. The freedoms of speech, press, religion, and assembly should never be repressed because they are perceived to be violent or offensive. The law enforcement oath of honor includes the commitment to always, always uphold the Constitution, and that must remain true regardless of the circumstances. As always, before we sign off, we'd like to honor our fallen brothers and sisters. Tonight, we honor one of our own, Deputy Sheriff Paul Ryan of the Broward County Sheriff's Office, whose end of watch was on this day, November 7th, back in 2007. I'm a little emotional with this because I was on that uh, call searching for this guy that was driving around. Uh, so uh, Deputy Ryan was shot and killed by a prisoner he was transporting in the medical van to the Broward County Courthouse. The prisoner, Michael Mazza, had been serving a life sentence from a previous conviction and was en route for trial on robbery charges. Mazza was riding in a medical transport van because he claimed to be having back pain. During the transport, Mazza was able to overpower Deputy Ryan, take control of his service weapon, and shoot Deputy Ryan twice. He fled, leaving Deputy Ryan for dead in the parking lot at the intersection of Powerline Road and Hammondville Road in Pompano Beach. Several citizens called 911, and Deputy responded to find Deputy Ryan wounded. Deputy Ryan was transported to the local ho hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds. Mazza was captured after a citizen saw him at a pawn shop and, was aler and alerted police. He was in possession of Deputy Ryan's service weapon when he was arrested. He was charged with first-degree murder and escape. On February 28, 2011, Mazza pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and received another life sentence. 
Deputy Paul Ryan, a U.S. Army veteran, had served with the Broward County, Community, uh, Broward County Sheriff's Office for 20 years. He is survived by his wife and two sons. The Broward County Detention Center on Blount Road displays Deputy Paul Ryan's name in his honor. Be sure to tune in next Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Copservation pod- Podcast. Fate. Ah. Copservation. <laughs> okay, you got podcast. emotional. It's okay. We're with you. We're with yeah. you. <laughs> Facebook page, uh, the Copservation channel on the Metaphor Creative Media YouTube page, and now on Twitter, at Copservations underscore. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week, stay safe and God bless.